Welcome to Economics Happy Hour. Before we get to the main episode, just a quick note. This was recorded live at the Jet Set Economics Conference in Newport, Kentucky. So there might be a little bit more background noise than usual. Also, we now have Economics Happy Hour stickers. If you'd like one, please just leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Send us a screenshot to economicshappyhour at gmail.com with your address, and we will send you some. Now to the episode. Welcome to Economics Happy Hour. My name's Matt. And I'm Jadrian. And we are thrilled to be live from Jet Set at the Aloft Hotel mm-hmm. in Newport, Kentucky. So earlier episodes, we were at the 16 Lots Brewery, but we, we wanted to do more. Uh, but we're not at the brewery, so we are now at a hotel instead. Yes. So... But thrilled to have another special guest with us. Eric, do you want to introduce yourself yeah. here? Hi, I'm Dr. Eric Dunnell. I'm an assistant professor of economics at Wabash College in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Did I see right that you got your uh, doctorate from Washington State as well? Yes, I was. I was <laughs> three another years. WSU yep. person. Yeah. We keep like, everybody here is like half the people are from WSU or Kentucky. Yes. Like, that's, the, that's the degree concentration. So I think, I, I don't know if this is true. So Kentucky, I think, is famous for developing economic educators. They do a really good job of just like, you know, Emily Darshik, Abdullah, like has a lot of really great people. I think WSU is doing that now too. Um, Kentucky, I think is a a couple years ahead, but I think WSU is starting to pump out just really good educators. Awesome. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, it's the people from WSU are are generally seem like good people. You know, that's I think they are. Yeah. And we all learn from each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. So we have, part of the reason Eric's here is over a conversation yesterday, discussed all of the ways that poker can be used to teach economics and the economic lessons from poker. And between, you know, Jadrian and I, like I am a huge poker aficionado and you are- I would say out of a hundred points, I am a two. I, I understand general freight right like if you said the river i know that like that i know what that is um like i know parts like i know the hands i know sure sure four of a kind and a full house like i know the terminology yep the game theory behind it strategy i'm gonna put that at a zero right like i i know you want to try to get the best hand possible past that you know when do you call and 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 stuff like that Nothing. So, so you're saying you need to listen to some more Kenny Rogers? No, I'm saying I yeah, need to I'm, listen to this podcast and uh, listen to it at least a couple times. Excellent. So that I can understand how to do this. So and you have a full course you teach to undergrads on poker. Yes, primarily to seniors, mostly just economics majors right now. Um, I've been doing it the last two years uh, as an independent study. Along with me, I'm working on developing it, developing it into a larger class. So it's still in the early phases, but uh, I've done it twice now. And I've also taught a freshman version of it to uh, students as an introduction to the liberal arts. What's the, cl- what's the title of the class? So it's called, Econ- uh, or it's called Poker, the Economics of Uncertainty. Ooh, okay. So uh, I want to make sure poker was first, so it yes. shows up on the transcript. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> which, that is strangely a, a class called poker if somebody looks at that. Or if somebody asks, tell me about an unusual class, mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing in an interview that's really powerful yes. because it's it's something different and unique and like I want to take a class on poker. Right? People will, interviewers will say that. I've never had anyone tell me that they aren't interested in that class. That's great. Well, okay, actually, so let me let me follow up with with that part for just a second because I teach a sports economics class. Same idea, super popular, right? Like you would think there's people like everybody in the room is interested in sports. 
I teach sports econ, and I've, I've heard this from other sports economists, you'll get people who don't know anything about sports. Mm -hmm. And so do you have, what is the, so coming into the class, what is the expectation for a student in terms of their poker knowledge? Should they know poker and you're gonna teach them how to get better? Or is it somebody like me, I know nothing about poker, how do you approach approach class? It's almost actually easier to teach a student poker if they have no experience. Okay. Because you're, you're not like breaking you're bad not habits. Breaking right? like, bad habits okay. exactly. And you know, it, it's uh, we were talking about Murray Konnikova's book uh, last night, the biggest bluff. Excellent, excellent book. She was a uh, psychologist who decided I want to try to make it on the top, okay. basically mm -hmm. on the. I don't know if it's quite considered high roller among poker players right. because what they call high roller is insane. But like yeah. the ten thousand dollar entry tournaments. Okay. okay. So normal people would say, yeah, that's high roller. And yeah. She approached one of the legends of poker, Eric Seidel, and asked him to teach her. And one of the reasons he agreed was because she had no background in poker. Okay. She she had a background in so in social psychology. And she didn't have the bad habits. Of so you're saying I could be trained because I know nothing. You could about be. You could I, be incredible. I, I know what a full house is, and I, right, I know yep. the boss. I have no strategy at yeah. all. So what's um, in the class? What's why don't we? I'm guessing. Well, you teach a full class. We clearly can't go through everything. This right. is a, a podcast episode, but love to hear from say maybe your top two, the top two favorite things to teach about. So what? Well, the big thing that I do, and kind of the selling point for this class, you know, to make sure it's you know rigorous for academia, is the idea to for students that um, the most important decisions that you're going to make throughout the course of your life are going to be poker decisions. So you have to decide whether or not you want to accept a job. You have to decide whether you want to make an investment. You have to decide whether or not you're going to get married. And the context of each of those decisions is a context of incomplete information, which of course, you know, big game theory concept right there. So um, really, you're not going to have all the information. You have to figure out how you're going to filter that information, and then you have to make the best decision possible. That, that's the hand of poker right there. Mm -hmm. And if we give them a, a kind of a playground where they can learn how to get comfortable being in those situations, um, they can learn when they, you know, when they, they can make the best possible decision they can and then learn what kind of role randomness will play in that and how to separate that out, you know, because in the real world, we can do everything right and still lose. That yes. just yes. happens. Okay. But how do we make it so that, you know, we let that go? Yeah. And that's tough. And, you know, of course, that's the opposite. And, too, we can make terrible decisions and get off scot-free. And how do we learn to recognize that? I mean, I think that's the number one lesson of that class. Um, the second one is, you know, I think of poker as a skill on the same level of golf, where poker is a great way, you know, it's one of those soft skills to have that will get you into places that might not be easily accessible to people. Mm -hmm. You know, if they find out that you're a poker player, you're gonna get invited to that poker okay. game, just like yeah. you would, you know, playing golf. Yep. And I think it's a great skill for, you know, any young person to have. When I was in high school, um, I had a, a prolific teacher who told me that um, every young person needs to have, you know two things in life. They need to know how to play poker, and they need to know how to drive stick shift. <laughs> and so I feel like I'm... Do you, I'm, do you know both of those? Oh, yes, I okay. do. But I only am teaching one. Oh, dang. Because I, I, know, I know zero of those names. So I, I, know, I know both, too. I had a stick shift for one of my cars, and I actually... It was kind of fun. It's way uh, fun. I, I, wish, I wish I had one today. The... Ex the decisions under uncertainty part, I, I completely agree with it. So in poker, you know, for those who are listening who don't play poker, uh, most people are somewhat familiar with mm -hmm. Texas Hold'em, and if you're not, uh, 
you know, we'll link in the show notes. We had a long <laughs> discussion of show notes yesterday, but we'll link in the show notes to some tutorials on Texas Hold'em. Mm -hmm. But Texas Hold'em a game, you get two cards, yep. your opponent gets two cards, and then there's five community cards. You know what you have. You do not, of course, know what your opponent has, mm -hmm. um, but you can try to make logical inferences based on what they have. Yes. So it is very much a game of incomplete information, but where, yeah, I, I agree within life, there are times where the benefits versus the drawbacks, even under the incomplete information, would, would op, which should steer somebody very clearly one way or another. Mm -hmm. So you could have a hand, your opponent does a move, uh, it could indicate, for example, maybe that they have one of the top six hands, and for, to simplify, let's say it's aces, kings, queens, jacks, tens, or ace-king. Mm -hmm. And we know they would do it with any of those six. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have two kings, and they go all in with that, and you know they do it with any of the six, you should be calling. Yeah. Because they will do it with several hands worse. Some of the time, they're going to have aces, and it doesn't matter. You still feel like, oh, man, you know, like it's, it's always disappointing. But you've got to recognize, I, I still made the right move. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's really hard. You know, even for students, you know, how many times have you had a situation where you, you put hours in of studying and then you get to the exam and the one thing you didn't study is what shows up on the exam? It happened to me in my comprehensive exams for, for econometrics. But it's, you should still feel good about all the studying you put in. You just got unlucky. So the structure of the course, I'm kind of curious. I think mm -hmm. from hearing you talk, I think I know the structure. Is it generally that each week you're covering a different economic concept so, and then thinking about how that concept applies to poker? So I think about like, as you're going through that, sunk cost. Mm -hmm. right? Is there like a week on sunk cost of thinking about what's the right way to respond to, you know, you think you have a good hand, you, you called the first round, but like now you think so it's bad. You know, we're gonna kind of transition as their skills develop. Mm -hmm. Part, a core aspect of the course is actually playing. Right. Because I tell them on day one, you know, I cannot turn you into a poker expert mm -hmm. in 14 weeks. It's just not possible. But what I want to do for this course is I want to give you the tools to start developing your own skills. And so, you know, there are going to be days where I'm going to take, you know, talk about game theory, which of course is completely rooted in poker. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to talk about um, how we process uh, risk, how we process uncertainty, because those aren't quite the same thing. We're going to get into behavioral aspects of it. But usually about every fourth class, you know, I usually do this on a Tuesday, Thursday, okay. um, we're going to be playing. And you know, we, we sit down and we actually play poker. Most of the time I'm serving just as the dealer because I want to be able to observe them. I make them take notes between hands. Notes are kept secret until the end of the session in okay. which they post them all. And then you can see what everybody had because one of the most important things about that class is we're all there to learn from each other. You know, yeah. a professional poker player is not going to do that. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna keep their secrets, but we're establishing this this uh, you know cycle of feedback, and we have to help each other. And hmm. yeah. you know, it's it's a great experience. Matt's about to teach this course at Susquehanna. No. I think he's <laughs> the, the, awesome. the wheels awesome. are turning in his head. He's yeah. like. How can I make them play well, for real money? So well, is that, 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 is that's, that a lot? That's actually a great uh, point. So the very first time I was doing this, actually having a, a day where we played in class, I noticed the students were being way too free and loose with their chips because, again, I can't ethically make them play for real money. I can't make them play for their grades because, you know, there, there's randomness involved. Right. It's just not going yep. to be fair. So the second time we got back, I thought, all right, new rule. And this worked out well because, you know, I was teaching the class on the top floor of like a really old building. And so I said, I need to make sure that you're playing as if these chips matter. But 
I don't have many ways I can punish you for playing poorly. I'm not going to assign you extra writing because writing shouldn't be a punishment. So what we're going to do with this new rule, effective for any time we play now, if you bust, you have to walk all the way down the stairs to the basement, and you've got to walk all the way back up. Then you'll get more chips to play. Okay. But uh, it solved the problem because, you know, the guys don't like doing, you know, uh, six white stairs. And I, I use the guys, uh, do one, one uh, Wabash College is one of the last remaining all-male schools, so I'll okay. tend to use the gender for the guys yeah. on that one. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's fascinating. The money part's interesting. In my game theory class, my next question's going to be on game theory yes. for you, but uh, I... I I have a book that costs 20 bucks on Kindle, so I feel like I can do this. But everybody does throw in 25 at the beginning of the term, and then they, it, I just throw it into a, an account, uh, hold it, and they play games, and they, it all goes back to them, but it goes back in different amounts. So if, okay. you, if, you, have a, oh, if that. you have a dean that signs off on that. Um, I think you wrote, did you write an article yeah, about this? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's precedent, and yeah. you can okay. point to it, and I would say there's, they definitely take it seriously. Yes. It's, it's not as much. Most of them get back between 15 and 35, so we're talking a $10 swing through a semester. Yeah. It's nothing. But so, they don't yeah. want to lose to them. So it's a friend. It's a, <laughs> right, it's a course fee, right? It's, yeah. it's a course fee. It's the same. There's a course fee to be in this course, and we've lowered the rest of it. And... Yep. Okay. yep. So something to think about. But So game theory, and uh, which Jadrian's favorite thing yes. to teach. We did a previous episode on okay. this, and I have a class on it. I love to teach it mm -hmm. as well. I think I'd love to talk a little bit about teaching the audience about mixed strategies and how it applies in poker. Okay. So. Well, before let's talk about game theory in general. Okay. So I love the entire history of gambling, and I kind of say it's a story of scoundrels and nerds. So you have a scoundrel who's got a game and he's trying to find an edge, but he can't quite figure that edge out. So he reaches out to a nerd, a mathematician, typically, and together they develop. A brand new field of mathematics. It's where our entire understanding of probability came from. Did you read a drunk? Is this a drunkard's walk? No, no, oh, no. Okay, this is so. This well, is what this we is, talked about okay. in a previous episode about books. Is this story of like you're talking about the log rolling? Is that no, no, okay. actually, but game theory is no different. Um, game theory, of course, developed by John von Neumann and Oscar Morgenstern in the 1940s. But the reason behind it is because John von Neumann wanted to figure out how to win poker. Hmm. So poker and game theory are, they've been intertwined from the beginning. I've got a copy of, of Theory of Games and Economic Behavior on my, on my bookshelf. Yeah. And you know when I first got it, I, I flipped to the back immediately to the index to see what was there. And I looked for poker. And there are dozens of hmm. references to poker in this seminal work. You know, it's, 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 it's a glorified math textbook. Yeah. But really von is. Neumann just wanted to figure out how to win poker, and so he invented a whole new field of economic thought just to mm -hmm. model a poker hand. And so it's just, you know, you can't have game theory without poker because yeah. that's why it exists. Oh, and I love it. But mixed strategy. So mixed strategy. So it's the idea that you can't, if you're competing against somebody, you cannot always do the yes. same thing. And I say always, it's, it's studied as if it's a single event. Mm -hmm. So I think but, for people who don't like poker or don't know poker very well, yeah. The an easy version of understanding mixed strategies would be like rock paper scissors. Rock paper scissors. You don't always want to throw rock. Yep. yep. They will figure you out. Penalty, like, in penalty kicks in soccer. Yes. You can't always kick to and, the same side, or you'll never they'll, score. They'll figure or it out. You can't dive to the same side. And, if, yeah. and in poker, if you always only bet when you have aces, they're going to know you have aces, and they're going to fold every time, and you will win no money. Yep. So you need to figure out. 
Yeah, so if you only bet with your premium hands, you players should essentially overfold mm -hmm. from what theory would say a correct if a player if somebody was playing quote unquote correctly yeah. and but then you have a player who's only betting big when they have it, mm -hmm. then you should be overfolding and folding really big hands and it will be correct. If you have somebody who you know, at a live casino, is drinking, is clearly splashing the money around. You're going to call them much more often. You should be calling much more liberally than you would otherwise. But there's an optimal amount. Yes. You should be bluffing. So and, let me squeeze in a gambling corollary that's not necessarily true. I think it's blackjack is like the opposite. Right? Blackjack often is if you have this, this is what you do. Like there's right. a blackjack there's more solved. of a, right? it's a, it's a yeah. yeah. So right? it's very unless unless you're counting the deck. And right. You know, right. The deck yeah, has yeah, changed. Yeah. You're right. Blackjack it's always so. The same. So I'd say like for those of you like gambling, it is a it's a different mindset from sort of the other games that people are playing. Correct. But you know it's when you're sitting at the table, it, it gets incredibly more complex than that because you know. What's the correct bluffing frequency? Well, we know the correct bluffing frequency is equal to the pot odds. Well, you know, how am I calculating the pot odds just sitting there at the table? The pot odds are, of course, how much do you have to put in for the chance to win what is in the table? Um, and then we can get into the deeper behavioral aspects of it. How do I effectively randomize when I should be bluffing 4% of the time? Yeah. My, my, my brain isn't going to be able to calculate that when I have 15 seconds to make a decision before they figure me out. Yeah. But it, it's, it's poker, it's amazing how far it's come along since yes. I played pretty seriously from 2003 to 2011. And I still play now and then. But I, I remember when I was playing online, there was never any talk about, at least among my group, about blockers. Mm -hmm. Or the hand, you may look for certain cards in your hand and then you bluff. So for example, if you wanted to bluff on a hand, let's say you have ace eight and the five cards on the board are six, seven, 10, jack, two. You, Ace eight might be may or might be a good candidate because because you have an eight, it's less likely that somebody has the two. You know they need two cards for a straight, and one of them's an eight, so you have a blocker, mm -hmm. and that's often okay. how. So people who take poker really seriously will start to think through. Okay, I may want to bluff, and when I want to bluff, I should be looking for um, one. It helps make sure you bluff the right amount, and two, it actually maybe make, might make the bluff more likely to be successful because you know it's just slightly less likely your opponent has the very top hands they could have because you have blocked okay. this top Setting hand. accurate beliefs. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's amazing how it's all evolved. Yeah, and you know, if you go back to the history of poker, you know, in the, the late 20th century, which apparently all the kids are talking about now. You know, 1970s, 1980s. You know, poker was the game of the of the scoundrel. You know, it was it was the the guy who just really cool, really good at bluffing. You know, going to Vegas is <coughs> Doyle Brunson. You know, he actually just passed earlier this year. But he, you know, if there is ever a Mount Rushmore of poker players, Doyle Brunson is the first play, uh, face you put on that. And, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, one hundred. Well, now, now I feel like you need to fill out the other three. So yeah. I feel like I need to. Oh. I've at least heard of Doyle Brunson. So yeah. like I, I, I've watched World Series of Poker on like ESPN. I don't yeah. necessarily know their names, right? But it's I've yeah. seen it on ESPN. Doyle is just too legendary. Okay. So he's 
one yeah. or um, the other? So I like to do it by eras. Okay. So uh, Doyle Brunson would be like the 1970s, 1980s. 1980s to 1990s, my pick is actually Eric Seidel. Um, Johnny Chan is a really close runner-up. 1990s into the 2000s, it has to be Phil Hellmuth. The man has had so much success. I think he won his 17th bracelet uh, this last summer. Modern era, um, you know, probably the front runner's Phil Ivey. Um, I think uh, Daniel Negrano has a good argument for being up there as well, but he hasn't achieved as much as Phil Ivey has. And Phil Ivey is just a force at the poker table. So, Matt, would you pick the same four people? Substitutions? It's a great, it's, a, it's a really good question. It's, it's tough. I, I think everybody just agrees Doyle Brunson is yeah. on the Mount Rushmore of poker. Yeah, he's, he's um, won everyone all great. Who, who else is a big question? Uh, Phil Ivey, I think, is widely regarded right now as the top poker player in the world, mm -hmm. him or Tom Dwan, but Tom Dwan I don't think, has not done it quite as long, so yeah. I would... Uh, Phil Helmuth, Daniel Negreanu, Johnny Chan, I think all are in there. I think I probably put Chan ahead of Seidel, and yeah. I don't... They, I just Ch because Chan, Chan won back-to-back, -back, yeah. yeah. he just won, well, and he won back-to-back -back titles, and this is where variance comes into play, because heads up could have gone the other yeah, way. And but, one of those titles was against Seidel. Okay. Yeah. Um, but no, those are perfectly fantastic, yeah. fantastic choices. The I don't know enough about should Amarillo Slim, like some of the really old guard be on there. But there is a poker hall of fame that there's actually a lot of controversy mm -hmm. about because right now they only allow in one player per year. Hmm. And there was a huge poker boom in the in the uh, aughts, I guess, the two, 2000 to 2010, and a lot of these people who started playing basically as teenagers yeah. are now getting ready to turn 40 when you're eligible, and you're like, well, yeah, that one should be in there, and this one should be in there, and this one should be in, but at one a year, it's going to be... It's yeah. take a while. It's, it's not really right, and I think. It's been really interesting, because, you know, kind of saying, moving past, you know, the 1970s, 1980s, all of a sudden... We saw it was less of you know the, the the stereotypical poker player that you're getting into, and it was the nerds. Mm -hmm. It was the the guys who could do all of these high level calculations. This sounds like the start of Moneyball. And it is. It, There's the old guard yeah, who always it, did it the same it, way, and today I we have the nerds it who is. have come in. Michael Lewis, if you're listening, I wonder if he has written a book. There's a book. Yeah, There's got to be a book on this. Because the new paradigm for poker is called Game Theory Optimal, or GTO for short. It's using data and statistics to tell the old guard they don't know what they're, they doing. Know what they're doing. And it's working. <laughs> it is a Michael Lewis story. <laughs> yeah. the, Michael, the Michael Lewis story writes itself. Yep. Yeah, and you know it, the 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 new Bible. We were talking about books last night. You know, I, I start my students with David Sklansky's work, um, the Theory of Poker, and it's a fantastic book. But it's definitely written in the 1980s. Um, but now everyone's using modern poker theory by Avin Avinacci. I hope I got that right. Um, but. That book is a textbook, and it's full of charts and mm -hmm. tables and betting ranges, and it's using modern game theory principles to explain poker. And what kind of worries me, and you know, this gets into the part of teaching poker, is that I don't let students start there. And I think a lot of new players are starting at GTO when those foundational skills, those are the ones that are teaching you how to think like a poker player and you need those skills. Like GTO will help you, it'll be, it'll be perfectly fine if you're playing online, mm -hmm. because that human element is minimized in online play. But you sit down at a poker table, yeah. you've got to be able to handle the pressure, you have to be able to handle the noise and the lights, and you have to make sure you're only giving away the information you want to give away. And 
That yeah. that takes training, and you know you can't learn that by studying GTO. And the other thing is nobody really. It's so complicated, even for Texas Hold'em, which mm -hmm. is a simple game. Nobody really plays game theory optimal. Yes, and that's the yeah. other problem. So I was watching the um, championships last December. So. Poker Go Championships, okay. and it was the final table, and uh, the the chip leader he gets dealt I think Ace Jack offsuit, and you know it's it's a marginal hand. It, you know, if, if your head's up, it's a great hand, but you know, and he's uh, under the gun, so he moves first, and he he shoves, so he goes all in, and you know he's he's playing the role of the big stack, but it. You don't want to do that when you're under the gun, typically. But the simulations that mm -hmm. we're using says that's what you do. And so, of course, the guy next to him had pocket kings. And he happily called that and happily doubled his stack. Yeah. But it's kind of one of those, the data is so good, the data, the simulations are really great, but we have to make sure that we're still having those skills of when should I not be using simulations? Because with those simulations that we're using, you're limited by three options. Do you want to bet, do you want to fold, or do you want to raise? But we don't, we can't specify multiple raises. We can't specify specific bet sizes. And so there's limitations to that. And really we're limited by our computing power for those and how much time it takes to calculate. So there's still room for that exploitative play of, of you know, before GTO and finding the flaws in an opponent's randomization. That's why, um, you know, there's professional rock, paper, scissors tournaments because you, you find sound flaws. like a poor man's Michael Lewis. Oh, you are. You. You're the, <laughs> it's just all it, interesting. There stuff. are flaws in the data. Yeah. And if you can just overcome those biases. Well, that's, that's, you know, like, I won't say that's how you're going to win in poker, but that's how you're going to increase your chances of winning. But the, right, this is the argument. Why could the A's never win with this system? Yeah. The data says that that's what you do. Because it doesn't work in the postseason. It doesn't work in the postseason when it's different. <laughs> so, no, it's, it, it, it's a fascinating thing, and you're right. I mean, there was a being in the, on mm -hmm. the ground. It, it felt that you could tell a difference, and you could tell. Yeah. I mean, I started to play on the Internet. I'd go in person, and there would be people who would look down on Internet poker players. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, this is just a fine. simulation. Those young guys don't know what they're doing. Yeah. The old guard. We have been here. We, yeah. we have always played. <laughs> yeah, but uh, well, I know that uh, we we like to close mm -hmm. each episode by talking about pop culture reference. And uh, before the show, you mentioned that you had one that was very relevant: I mean, pop greatest, culture and economics. You know, we can we can argue about whether it's the greatest poker movie of all time. But I'm gonna throw it out there: it has to be Rounders. It has to be Rounders. I have mean, you seen Rounders? I have not seen Rounders. Oh. Rounders. I was gonna cheap out and say 21. Just because it's I'm a blackjack. It's a blackjack. But I'm going with gambling, right? I don't know poker, yeah, so yeah. I'll say on the gambling side, my recommendation was going to be 21. Okay. Really enjoyed it. I know it's not necessarily a popular culture. So, it's it's pop culture, it's but interesting. Not, it's not popular as a gambling movie. I know there's a lot of things but going Rounders, on. But Rounders, of course, um, Matt Damon plays the main character. He's a law student who is also, you know, plays in these underground poker games, and, you know, it's, it's his journey with that. But one of the reasons why I love Rounders the most is we have to think about who is the real hero of Rounders. And my answer to that question is, it's the professor. It's the professor who gives him solid advice, encourages him when he's thinking that law school may not be right for him, encourages him to chase what he truly loves, and then, you know, he does actually front him for the final game. I, I tell my students, you know, I will encourage you, I'll help you figure out the right major for you, but I will not give you $10,000 to play a probably illegal poker game in Boston. But yeah, yeah it's, it's such a fantastic movie. It's got Edward Norton in it. It's got um, John Malkovich. 
John, John Malcolm, it's he has some lines that mm -hmm. people will just will continually talk about. I don't know how big of a John Malkovich fan you no. are, but he's he plays Teddy KGB, mm -hmm. who um, I actually have a shirt I think at home that says "Pay that man." <laughs> um, it's just a famous, you know, it's kind of a line in there, but unbelievable. You, you, I, I would highly yeah. recommend. It. That's that's okay. always the day one assignment for okay. the poker class. They have to watch rounders before they come in. Gosh, that's a, that's so you need to flip <laughs> that script on them and say, like, look, if you ever do make it big, I expect a donation back to Wabash oh. College as a scholarship for students taking this class. There's already that understanding <laughs> with the students. You know, the, you know, the second you cash the main event, we got to start seeing some kind of, you know, support for students to learn poker. Just know you learned it here. Right? <laughs> this, is, this is where it's at. I know, I think that's a great pop culture. I think that's, that's a, fantastic. I feel like we, should, we shouldn't dilute the pool with, like, subpar recommendations. I agree. I agree. Like and it fits a good, perfectly so. with the topic, which yeah. we're not always the best at. So. <laughs> no. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, and thank you to everybody for tuning yeah. in. Uh, we have waters here yeah, because yes. it's noon and that's what the hotel had. But, <laughs> yeah. so, but cheers. So as I wait, uh, your favorite tagline, right? Where you need people to leave comments and rate us. We gotta, we gotta yeah, remind out of form we, because we're in person. We haven't, we haven't been doing this. So if you have topics that you would like to hear us talk about in future episodes, please comment or email us or tag us on something. Let us know things you want to hear. We're happy to cover all sorts yep. of topics. And leave us a five star review and uh, or five star rating and a review and send it to economicshappyhour at gmail.com. That is our Gmail address, and, and we'll we will happily we'll send, send you stickers. And if you're Michael Lewis, you're welcome for the new book idea. Please yeah. please yeah. make him a co-author, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can, or you can be bought, right? Yeah. Your yeah. Oh, yeah. idea can be purchased. Oh, absolutely. Everything I think I'd rather same. be a co-author. Uh, I think yeah, I'd rather get a one, I'll take a 1% cut of yeah. a Michael Lewis book. I would absolutely In future you. film rights. In future film rights. <laughs> right, when, that's fair. That's fair. I'll take the 1% cut. Uh, whatever you're going to pay me, I know you're going to make way more as soon as you s s put the word Michael Lewis on the cup. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Some water bottles.